on this episode of Why Watch That. Something that Anna really kind of responds to is research and kind of having a deep understanding of, of, of character on, on a kind of greater level, like where has this character come from and where is she going before the movie starts and after the movie ends. And so having those conversations beforehand allowed us to have a kind of shorthand once we got on set. Once right. you were on set, you just kind of let those sparks fly. I mean, I think that James and Anna have the kind of charisma and, and, and chemistry of like an old kind of golden age Hollywood couple like Clark Gable and Carol Lombard or something. Like they're just like, they have like that kind of rapport that, um, that you just can't keep her eyes off of. Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critics and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why Watch, Watch That. That. Presented by Dynamic Network. I watched that sneak peek. Oh, we have another exclusive sneak peek at a new movie called Equity that'll be coming out July 29th. And the critic and I are excited because we both got to see it together. We sure did. It was so nice in there, too. It sure was. This is starring Anna Gunn. Yes, Breaking Bad's Anna Gunn. James Purifoy, Sarah Megan Thomas, and Alicia Rayner. She um, also was a, one of the producers on this. It was directed by um, Mira Meenan and written by Amy Fox. Now, basically, this movie is about women on Wall Street. No, it's not about corruption and taking down some big institution. It's about how women thrive or not. Mm. On Wall Street, which is a different kind of Wall Street movie that we haven't seen before. Yeah, how they climb the corporate ladder. Also, how they get tracked down, okay? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. By by the prosecutors. That's right, for inside trading. Now, Anna Gunn plays Naomi Bishop, who is this thriving... um, Actually, she's a thriving um, banker maven, really, um, at her firm, she is the one who finds these uh, tech companies, and she sees ahead of the curve. She grabs those tech companies and take them to unlimited revenue, basically. Yeah. And um, she has been doing this for many years. Yeah, she leads them to their IPO. Their IPO and the release, and she manages that whole situation. Now, the movie opens with her sort of losing her edge a little bit with a particular IPO. So we see this woman who's been thriving kind of get hit in her Achilles heel a little bit, and she's recovering from that. So every move forward is all about getting it right. But, but... There are many obstacles in her way, aren't there, Critic? Uh, there sure are. You know, she's also dating a colleague, played by James Purefoy. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a problem. They're at the same bank, but he is a traitor. 
yeah. she is the investment banker banker and you know they're supposed to be separate so they is there a chinese wall is that chinese wall doing what it's supposed to do between the two of them mm-hmm. coming into play is sarah megan thomas's aaron manning who is this very ambitious vice president who's basically doing all of the legwork for naomi mm-hmm. but she finds out she's given some sort of curveball <laughs> that could potentially um, interrupt her ambition to be the next Naomi. Now, as we go through the entire movie, we find out that something quite doesn't go down correctly, so they're going to bring in um, the prosecutors to find out if the Chinese wall has been broken, crossed, or demolished (laughs) or not. And that's where the movie sort of begins, ends, and climaxes and all of that. So that's the gist. Yeah, and Alicia Reiner, as you mentioned, she plays that prosecutor, Samantha Ryan, Mm -hmm. in this movie. Uh, Yeah, and we see her home life and all of that as well. Here's the overall theme. Here's Mm -hmm. here's the question at hand. Yep. The question that Amy Foxx raises is, can women be ambitious? And if they can be, at what cost? Right. What cost does it cost them? What does it cost their companies? What does it cost their relationship with one another? Are they loyal? Do women um, make packs with one another to get things done? Or do they need to go their separate ways at any means necessary? She raises those questions. And I think overall for me, she raises them and it's interesting. Like um, we talked about, we've never really saw, seen this kind of Wall Street movie before. No, not from women's perspective. Not yet. from a woman's perspective. Um, but I do have to say with equity, there are a couple shortcomings. Um, yeah, yeah. A relatively new writer, Amy Fox, as far as um, feature films go. And there were some lags in the writing for me. Um, but the overall themes were so present that some of those things were forgivable. Yeah. Some were absolutely not. You know, what I would say, Ref, is I, throughout the film, whether it was working or not, I did enjoy watching the actors do their work. Absolutely. They were listening. They were breathing. They were thinking. I mean, it, it would be a simple no. And they had a whole backstory, you could tell, behind that. Anna Gunn, especially, the breath, her opening scene. Oh, yeah. When, when she tells the guy, look, you need to stick with me. I had nine winners before that loser. Nine. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Okay. So that's one thing. Also, we mentioned the whole woman's perspective. That made it interesting. Uh, the only thing, there were some things at the end yeah, that I thought I were dropped. Where And look, you know I don't care about endings so much. But I if, do. <laughs> but if you set a lot of things up, then you might have to have a payoff. We didn't quite get it here. So what I would say is this. If you're interested in seeing a wonderful cast, I mean, all kinds of people pop up. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. you may recognize. Uh, and... If you're interested in that, if you're interested in seeing this woman's perspective of Wall Street, okay, check it out. Um, Otherwise, you know, hey, you can wait for it or 
do something else. Oh, you know what? I do have to add, as a woman who is in the industry, I want to applaud um, just the, the 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 crew alone, everyone yeah. who was a part of this to make this happen. This was a one of the official selections of both the Sundance Film Festival as well as Tribeca, Whoa. and the critics are, you know, they're drinking it up a little bit. So I I do have to say, if you want to champion or support something like this, it's not bad to go see it in the theater. Are there some problems? Of course there are, but overall, this is something that we haven't seen before. That's right. And, you know, it'll keep your attention. And look, that ain't easy to do. All right. The Why Watch That Interview. Hey, listeners, we have a very special treat for you today. It's so special. (laughs) We're sitting with um, the amazing director and screenwriter of the upcoming movie from Sony Pictures Classic called Equity. It's some good stuff. And we want to jump right in because we want to know all there is to know about how this came to be and um, what we can expect when we're sitting in those seats in the big theater. So welcome Mira Menon, the director, and Amy Fox, the screenwriter. Thank you. We're excited to be here. (laughs) So we're just going to jump right in with the question. This is um, just really a groundbreaking film, obviously, um, because it's dealing with something that we haven't seen before, and that is the woman as the face of Wall Street, which is amazing. Tell us, how, um, how realistic is equity in regards to Wall Street? I know you've had some investors and things, but was this a specific woman you guys were crafting or specific incident? This is Amy. Naomi is not modeled after a specific woman, but we did do a lot of research, which included a lot of interviews of men and women at all levels of Wall Street. And she is a composite. I would say all the characters in this movie are a composite of bits and pieces of those interviews, um, themes that resonated again and again. And I looked for sort of common traits to these, you know, the women who have really advanced very far on Wall Street, I kind of looked at what made them tick, and there are certain similarities and certain differences, and then tried to create her out of that. Great, okay. okay. And another thing, Amy, so you created the story of Equity with uh, Sarah Megan Thomas and Alicia Reiner, who also star in the film, they produce it. I mean, there's a lot of great things going on, both in front of and behind the camera. So what was the process of actually writing the literal screenplay? Sure. So when uh, Sarah and Alicia first brought the concept to me, um, they had certain ideas nailed down, but it was still pretty broad. They knew they wanted to do the first female-driven Wall Street film. They had uh, pretty solid ideas of the characters that each of them would play. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but really, really, they left the shape of the story, the the nature of the thriller and the mystery that unfolds was really left to me. And so I began by doing a lot of this research. And also the character of Naomi, which was our lead, was a character that we all were thinking about and kind of looking to put the pieces together. But they really let me run with that as well. And they did something which I think I wish more producers would do, which is that they gave me a lot of freedom. So we did have many discussions and we did have a very rough treatment. But when I went off to write, um, many, many, many pieces of the story had not been worked out yet. And they gave me about two months to just work on my own before I had to show them anything, which was a huge, huge gift for a writer. Oh, yeah. That's oh, great. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> so speaking of um, 
just that amazing process. There were some amazing performances um, by some amazing actors. Anna yeah. Gunn, who of course plays Naomi Bishop, and James Purefoy, um, who plays Michael Connor. How did they become attached to the film? Well, that was, you know, it was kind of like set about a process of sending the scripts out to uh, you know, agencies and kind of the, the kind of route kind of process you go through when you're casting. And we just were incredibly fortunate that it landed on Anna's desk and she read it and she responded to it instantly. I remember when I first met with her about it, she had probably like, a, you know, we, t- we talked probably for two hours and it was mainly kind of her going through this kind of extensive backstory and understanding of the character that she had just from reading the script. She had so deeply connected with the material that Amy had written and the character that Amy had written. From what I understand from her now, it seemed like the kind of character she had been waiting to play. She puts it her whole life, but certainly since she finished Breaking Bad, I think she was looking for this kind of character that could embody all the complications that she experienced audiences feeling towards her character on Breaking Bad. I think this, this character helped her explore those ideas kind of further, but also lead the charge and not be responsive to uh, or a supportive character to a man. Um, so she, so Anna completely, um, she completely connected with the material, really kind of responded to it. We were very lucky that that happened. And then James similarly responded to the material, but also equally as much wanted to work with Anna. And so, uh, so Anna came wow. on first. And then when we were talking about who to play Michael, James had read the script and we were again lucky that he responded to it in the way that he did. And then when he knew Anna was going to play the part he was in. Speaking of these great actors, Mira, working with them, what was it like collaborating with them to draw out their performances? How did you do that? Well, you know, when you're working with actors at the level that Anna Gunn and James <laughs> right. you kind of just like you kind of just like sit back and, and enjoy the show. You know, like I, I really felt that was the case most of the time. And, and to the extent that I facilitated that, it was just jumping in and kind of tweaking things here and there, kind of reminding them of where they were at in the timeline of the story. And we did a lot of preparatory work kind of talking through, again, the backstory of the character. It's something that Anna really kind of responds to is research and kind of having a deep understanding of of character on on a kind of greater level, like where has this character come from and where is she going before the movie starts and after the movie ends. And so having those conversations beforehand allowed us to have a kind of shorthand once we got on set. Once you were on set, you just kind of let those sparks fly. I mean, I think that James and Anna have the kind of charisma and and, and chemistry of like an old kind of golden age Hollywood couple like Clark Gable and Carol Lombard or something. Like they're just (laughs) like, they have like that kind of rapport that... um, that you just can't keep her eyes off of. Yeah, you really couldn't keep your eyes off of those two. They had a great, great chemistry. Yeah, wonderful. Um, Mira, um, women directors rock in my world. They just really, really do. Um, what was the difference between your approach to equity and then after you've finished Farrah Goes Bang? So I'm sure there was, you know, a bag of tricks and, and a learning that you had from Farragut's Bang to Equity? I mean, they were just completely different movies in tone and genre, obviously, and then one had a substantially bigger scale, Equity. But, you know, Farragut's Bang was a very grassroots-driven effort. We were literally learning as we go. Uh, you know, we were popping up and, you know, like one morning finding a street location on the corner and writing a scene and figuring out how to shoot it. Like, it was very on the fly and very spontaneous. And that was kind of reflective of the material. The material is meant to be a kind of scrapbooking of a nostalgic experience from your 20s. And uh, and this movie, by, like, complete contrast, really required yeah. a kind of precision, preparation, and just like a kind of a sense of uh, a purpose with every single frame and every single shot that just was the exact opposite in terms of approach. And so this movie was really about spending that time beforehand with our incredible DP, Eric Lynn, and our production designer, Diane Letterman, our costume designer, Teresa Wesley, these creative heads, really kind of spending our time in prep 
figuring out every detail of how we were going to map this thing out and not leaving too much of it to chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of mapping things out, the ending of this movie <laughs> is, <laughs> is something that uh, many people may not expect. I, I'd just like to know from either of you, what do you want the audience to take away from that ending? Interesting question, because I think it's different for different people. I mean, I definitely think, you know, we played around with a couple of different endings, but I think we landed on this one aesthetically because it kind of reflected the musical chairs quality of this world, how there were only so many spots for people at the top, and it's got that cutthroat quality, and so there was something about the ending that felt reflective of that. Yeah, I mean, the ending of the film is substantially different from the ending of the script, but only, but not in its feeling. It ended differently when I wrote it, but when I saw the cut where they had come up with this ending in the editing room, it felt 100% right. So I feel like sometimes the details of how you do something don't matter as much as the feeling that you want people to leave with. And I think it it is a slightly open-ended ending. I think we want a sense that there was not room for Naomi in this world to be the person she's meant to be. And then the question of what she's going to do next, you know, we went back and forth, do we need to see that? And ultimately decided that the audience trusts that character and knows that character and knows that she's going to do something else. This is not the end of her story. Yeah, we came out with that. Um, We walked out knowing that she's going to take over something else. (laughs) Definitely. Well, let's shift gears just a little bit in dealing with the process of getting equity made, what that was like. I mean, as you talked about, this is produced by women, written, directed. Um, Many of the key players um, behind the scenes are women. What was that like on set? What was the feeling? What was the tone on set? Um, Very pink. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I think is remarkable is that to me, it doesn't feel any different. You know, I think that we were very much approaching this. I mean, and this is something that I think is important important to mention is that men have been responding to this film in equal measure, if not more so than women. Um, Because I do think ultimately the story we're telling, the gender politics of it are there, they're ripe for discussion, but they kind of exist in the background. They're at a certain point incidental to what the characters are going through. I think this movie kind of could have easily been populated by men and we would have been able to tell some version of the same story with as much tension and kind of grit as as this movie has. So... I didn't find it made made a difference, really. Well, I would just say, um, just to give Mira a little credit here, Uh, (laughs) because I have been on some other fun sets and I also teach directors, and I find that, you know, everyone who works in film knows ultimately what a collaborative medium film is, and yet you meet people with varying levels of ego, right? And I'm not going to say that all the men have ego and all the women don't, because it's certainly not that clear-cut. But I found that on Mira's set, there is such a respect for collaboration, and it really does not feel like she dominates her set in any way. She, it, it, There's just a level of respect for all the players that I found really, really inspiring. Excellent. So um, we end our interviews this way at Why Watch That. What are you two watching right now? What's interesting you at the moment? Yeah, well, I was just going to say the Democratic National Convention, because we find it like to be kind of incredible timing that tonight we'll be nominating the first female presidential candidate in American political history. And we made a movie that explores, you know, women and ambition and power in a way that feels very timely. I you can't do it? any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, ladies, so much. This was an amazing interview, and I'm sure our listeners are going to go wild over equity. It's, like you said, very timely and also very entertaining. Thank you. Thank you.
Did you know? Part one. It's you. It's you. Jason Bourne is coming out this Friday. It is. Starring Matt Damon and others. Alicia Vikander, great. She said she didn't have to audition. Now, look, the real question is this, and then we'll get to the did you know after the ref thinks about it. Is Jason Bourne real or fake? What do you mean? Is he a real person? Has anyone like him ever been in existence in that same situation? Oh, I think I know the answer to that. This episode of Why Watch That is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of audiobooks for download to your computer, phone, and MP3 player. Sign up today to try Audible free for 30 days and get a free audiobook of your choice. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash why watch that to get your free audiobook now and to support our show. Did you know? Part two. Okay, I thought about it. Mm-hmm. You said you, you sound really confident about it. I'm this. extremely confident because oh. the government can do some shady things <laughs> along with the good things that they do. I'm gonna uh, go ahead and so say you. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and say yes, this is probably based loosely on some sort of real situation or maybe even like a program. Mm-hmm. So for all you conspiracy theorists out there, you all going, of course, of course, yes, yes. Oh, see? Yeah, you know, the New York Post released recently an article on this. In the 50s and 60s, the CIA oh. experimented extensively with brainwashing. Oh, my God. Yes, and they enlisted all kinds of people unwittingly into this experiment to see whether they can get, to do, get them to do things and then get them to forget that they did it later on. Now, I think it ended in the 70s, and the program director said basically it didn't work. Well, that's what he says. So, when you're watching Jason Bourne, everyone, think this. Maybe he's out there. (laughs) (laughs) But he doesn't know who you are! Back to Why Watch That. Another Why Watch That sneak peek. Critic and I got to see a advanced screening of a movie called Indignation. Indignation. A drama movie coming out this uh, coming up quickly in theaters July 29th. We were very interested to find out more about this particular movie. It takes place um, during or a little after the Korean War. Yeah, yeah, wait, during yeah. During the Korean War, but during the peak of drafting yes. uh, of the Korean War. And um, it, it's directed by James Seamus. He adapted the screenplay. He also wrote the screenplay uh, but from a Philip Roth that you may know, who's yeah. a very heady writer. But um, let's, let's talk about this plot. Logan Lerman 
um, who's one of my favorite young actors. Uh, he was in The Perks of Being a Wallflower and other things. He plays Marcus. Marcus. Marcus Mester. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's a Jewish uh, guy going to college. Um, you know, he has parents who are really protective. They don't want him going into this draft. Let's talk about he is a East Coast Jewish person. Yes. So very much city life Jewish. Yeah. From Jersey. So he goes off to college, a small college in Ohio. <laughs> and his roommates are Jewish as well. So it's that kind of thing. It is 1951. So you know what's going on there. While he's there, he's a he's extremely studious, by the way. Intense. Intense about it. Great student. That's his focus. His roommates are older than him. And that leads to some tension because he meets a young girl at college. Oh, does he meet her? Indeed, she meets him. <laughs> She's Olivia Hutton. She's beautiful. She takes an interest in him and they're in the same class. She's got a past. And she shares it with him. She shares it with him verbally and non-verbally. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, along the way, he meets the dean, played by <laughs> played by Tracy Letts. The great Tracy Letts. Yes, the same person who wrote August o- Osage County. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! So Tracy Letts and boy, oh boy, they have a scene that could have taken up the whole movie. <laughs> Actually, okay, I have to say this. I know we're giving this review, but it is the longest scene in cinematic history. I mean, that scene is a good 20 minutes long of talking. But we have to say Tracy Litz was absolutely amazing in that scene. I, I have to give it to him. He, he he held it down. Oh, he sure did. So, you know, there's this thing going on with he and the Dean. Um, so, push comes to shove. He ends up in the hospital. We won't tell you how. Uh, his mother's called in, and he finds out that his parents, their relationship isn't doing so well. But his mother decides that she's going to compromise. If he does something for her, she'll do something for him. Yeah. And so then you get this whole, um, this, this young man has to really make a choice as to what his future is going to look like. Yeah. Um, and he, he definitely has a bright future, but he also has another path. And so by the end of it, you see the choice that he makes and the consequences of that choice. Now, yeah. let's talk about the performances. Yeah, and just to say, it's the movie's bookended by an older woman thinking back on the past. So just know that comes in. Who's the older woman? <laughs> You'll have to watch You'll it. Find out. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about the performances. I have to say that Tracy Letts obviously is one of my favorite performances, but Linda Imond, who you can see in The Good Wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's kind of everywhere in TV. She's a great actress. Pulled it off as the mother. She plays this mother who 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 is in this very stressful relationship who needs to let it out. But then in, at the end, she knows how to whip it back together. She just stole her scenes. Um, yeah, that final scene with her in that little diner or wherever they were, uh, look, moment to moment, it was so good. Love yeah. you, Linda. Worth watch. Tracy Letts, obviously, we said was amazing and wonderful. The two leads who played Olivia, uh, the young woman, for me, uh, she was she was okay. She she did her she did her thing. She was supposed to play someone very uh, 
disturbed and yes. and strange. So she she does that. I really liked what Logan, who plays Marcus, did. He really shined. I loved the gravity of his voice. I loved um, the intensity that he gave in his scenes. Um, he's a growing actor, in my opinion. Yeah, growing actor. Um, here's the thing. I mentioned the beats, the moments with Linda Eamon. Um, Tracy Letts also nailed a lot of his and he found some great humor in his scenes which was needed here um, but if you know Philip Roth you know that there are lots of heavy themes going on here so the script there are some problems and in the presentation the changes from moment to moment for me weren't yeah. as clear as they could be and I think that Logan there was opportunities for him to do even more with his great talents and skills, especially in his scenes with Tracy Letts. Um, I think that that could have been tackled a little differently. Yeah, but you gotta have direction to do that, and I'm and I'm sure the director was amazing. But uh, it was it's kind of like it just needed maybe a couple more rehearsals. Um, but you know, right. listen, what do I know? All I know is if you want to enjoy some great performances, if you want to just dig around a little bit in very heady things like religion or racism war yes. depression yes uh, sexuality yes. you kind of want to just dig around in those things and you just kind of want someone to not flush it out for you but just present it to ask more questions maybe this movie is for you um is it perfect for me no was it terrible absolutely not no it just it raised more questions that's right it's something that you'll leave if you if you go with someone to see it you'll leave the theater and you'll talk i mean you will talk about it also the thing for this is you really see the film's potential i mean that's what grabbed me i was watching it thinking oh you could do this with it you could do that with it yeah because it was beautiful right yeah. it was beautifully shot I love the costumes. You know this. The aesthetic, yeah. Yeah, the cars, all of that. So uh, if you are a fan of serious drama, then this certainly is for you. With its imperfections, it doesn't matter. I think that it'll give you enough, it's enough meat on its bones that you'll definitely be thinking about it. You'll definitely be thinking. So hey, July 29th, if you want to check it out, go for it. Indignation. now, the pick of the week. Well, well, well. Oh my goodness. The rat finally has a pick of... Oh, I have pick of the week sometimes. Uh, well, you know, excuse you. Before we get into this, I do have to say, unfortunately, we lost the great Gary Marshall. We did. We did. This week. I mean, just name it from the 80s, 90s, and he's... Todd Couple, Mork and Mindy, Overboard. Ready, we go overboard is the pick of the week now this is directed of course by the great gary marshall and it is written by leslie dixon who did mrs dalfa mm-hmm. she was also involved in the television show limitless did you know was, that yeah yeah and they canceled yeah. it in the suckers anyway <laughs> so overboard stars goldie hahn and kurt russell goldie hahn go ahead take okay, it okay thank you Stars the wonderful Goldie Hawn, um, also her her life partner yeah. Kirk Russell. This is where they met, I believe. Yes, I think yeah. so. And it's about this woman who is extremely wealthy, <laughs> but, and Kirk <laughs> Russell's character 
does some 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 carpentry work on her, on her yacht. She is a carpenter. She is a carpenter. It does her not, and unfortunately, she is a huge jerk to him. I mean, the if you oh. had to use the B word, which we don't on this show, that's not even enough. <laughs> she's a, she's really really evil toward him. Well, unfortunately, she has a, a horrible accident that causes her to lose her memory temporarily, yep. and she is claimed because she falls overboard. Mm-hmm. She's claimed by Kirk Russell because that's the only person that they could find connected with her because her husband knows that she's a jerk who's played by Edward Herman. Look, Edward Herman. It's brilliant in this film. So anyway, she has no memory and Kirk Russell decides to give a run for money and claim her as his long lost wife. Yeah. And he's dirt poor. So she's like this uppity woman who's trying to figure out her way through poverty right. and his three kids. But she doesn't know she's uppity. No, she she doesn't know it, but yeah. she's internally she can't figure it out. So the whole movie is about Goldie Hawn, it's a comedy, trying to figure out, put her finger on why she doesn't quite fit in, and ironically, mm-hmm. she does fit in. Now, personally, these are two strong performances by Kirk Russell and Goldie Hawn. You will love it. Gary Marshall is perfect at getting two actors, male and female, to work together and giving and delivering high comedy. Yeah. The cast is amazing. We did mention Mr. Edward himself, along with the wonderful Catherine Hellman, who yes. plays her mother! And Catherine Hellman, everyone, is who's the boss? Mona, right? I think that was her character's name. And you'll also remember Jared Rushton, who was the little kid, the friend of Tom Hanks in Big. He's also in this as well, along with amazing performances by Mike Haggerty, and on and on and on. If you want a great Gary Marshall movie to binge on this week, or any time, I think that Overboard is a perfect movie. Of course, you've probably already seen Pretty Woman. You've probably heard of Morgan Minnick. But Overboard is one of those jewels that Gary Marshall left with us. May he rest in peace. Yes. Thanks for all the fun. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.